Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. We have put together a programme which celebrates women. We find women who are striking out on their own and achieving some extraordinary results. I'm Linda Ness. And I'm Susie Thorpe. And we produce and present Women Making Waves. Today we meet singer-songwriter Anita Gabrielle, who has produced an EP which will raise funds for research into Parkinson's disease. Anita has been working in the music industry since the 1980s and has spent her life fighting against injustices. And Yvonne Witter, a leader of the Peak District Mosaic Group and an Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion who dedicates most of her free time to encouraging black and minority ethnic groups to step outside the city and enjoy nature. Two really fascinating women guests coming up on this episode of Women Making Waves. songs on Anita Gabrielle's latest EP describes how her parents met in Brussels at the end of the war. Linda and I chatted to this dynamic and talented woman. Anita Gabrielle is a singer-songwriter who's been writing songs most of her life. There's no one like you who can make me laugh the way that you do. She refers to herself as the dyke in a hat and has had to fight lots of injustices. Our latest EP has been released in order to raise funds for research into Parkinson's disease. We're delighted to be joined by Anita today. Welcome to Women Making Waves, Anita. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honour to be asked to be here. Thank you. Well, we're really pleased to have you. We are, definitely. Now, when did you start writing songs, Anita? You say it's been all of your life. What age were you when you started getting interested? Well, I was 14 when my dearly beloved brother came home from London and said to me, I've seen this lady singer, I think you'll like her. And he went and bought me her first record, as it was back then, and it was a a woman uh, called Joni Mitchell who became a bit of an icon for me, really, all my life. I found that she wrote things that expressed how I was feeling, and I, I wanted to do that too. And I got a guitar, I was just 14, started to write songs, and uh, have never stopped, really. That is brilliant. It's really nice to hear that someone's been inspired like that, actually. And a lot of teenagers, I think, do. They start in their bedroom, don't they? And you're sort of sitting there learning chords. Did, did you teach yourself the guitar? I did. I, t- I taught myself initially, but then I had a few lessons which helped no end. And um, funnily enough, I've just started having lessons again. Really? <laughs> so I think you never stop learning, do no. you? And you never stop trying to develop. Well, I haven't anyway. I've, I've always tried to develop what I do and, and to improve what I do. And is Joni Mitchell still your icon, Anita? Or have you collected more icons along the way? Well, I think I've, I've loved so many different musicians. And, I, you know, I'm really taking with so much that the young people do these days. I really like Billie Eilish. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, there's a, a young singer-songwriter who I'm, uh, I love, a, a guy called Luke Jackson. Uh, you know, there's just so, so much music. But I think in your formative years, when you're very young, something that really makes such an impression uh, stays with you. And I think Joni Mitchell has influenced so many people. Mm-hmm. And um, and her career, of course, uh, she went from a folk singer uh, to become such an, an incredible jazz musician. You know, she's just progressed and changed and developed always. And uh, I, I mean, I bought albums really out of loyalty when I didn't really get them at all. And I return to them now and I think, do you know what? That's really interesting today. Um, yeah. You know, there's an album she did in the 80s uh, that was recorded by Thomas Dolby. It's very electronic. Really hated it at the time, but brought it through <laughs> lo- loyalty. And now I think, my goodness, this is so excellent. So, yeah, I think those formative years are important, but I do like to be open to new music as well. Yeah, I think it's funny when someone that you follow changes style and it, it's a bit like Marmite for a lot of people. You either love it or hate it. Mm. You're in a band in the 80s called The Crew. What kind of music were they playing? Well, we were described as a post-punk 
pop band uh, by Melody Maker. That's what they called us, post-punk pop band. That's a lot of peas, isn't it? <laughs> it is, nice littering. <laughs> so that's how they described us. Um, we were very fast. Uh, we had a lot of songs in the set. And if we got through the set in, in 20 minutes, we knew we were really cooking. And it was unusual at the time because there were, there were two of us women playing. I was playing an electric telecaster at the time. And there was a woman who was playing bass as well. And that was quite unusual that women were playing electric guitars. You know, the slits and bands like that had opened yeah. the door for us, really. And so I was very influenced by them um, and the fact that actually as women, we could play electric guitars. We didn't actually have to sit with acoustic and look pretty and play. So, yeah, that was a great time, really. It was an interesting time. And I managed to meet some great people, Annie Lennox and Pauline Black of Selectors, you, you know, really good women performers of the time. Was it very sort of rare for women to be writing songs and making music at that time? I wouldn't say it was rare for women to be making music, but I think it was very rare for women to be stroppy or to be <laughs> um, out there a bit. And and certainly electric guitars. I mean, I, I, hadn't, I can't remember, apart from the slits, having seen any women playing electric guitars. So I thought, I'm going to get a, an electric and give this a go. Much as I love Joni Mitchell and, uh, and the acoustic genre that she came from, nonetheless, I wanted to be out doing something that had a little bit more of an edge and also expressed how I felt as a woman and as a lesbian. Um, that was really mm. important to me. And a song I wrote at the time called Josie, uh, which was how I fell in love with my best friend at school, was viewed as, as very brave at the time. Mm. Um, there were lots of people thought this was very courageous of me to be singing this. And um, yeah, it's surprising now when I look back, but, but that was how it was then really. And you were outed as a lesbian by a newspaper which in the 1980s, it sounds awful if it was something that was done without your consent. Tell us about that. Yes, well, in a way, we were so unprepared. We'd been uh, uh, playing together the band there was only a, f a few months. It was also very, very new. And uh, we, we were getting quite a lot of press coverage. And um, I don't know how it happened, but I can remember we, we played up in London. And we, what happened, actually, was we won a competition called uh, the Melody Maker, the paper was mm -hmm. running. I suppose it was a, uh, the Melody Maker Rock 80 competition. The band actually entered and, and we won. So we were propelled really into Absolutely. getting lots of local yeah. uh, newspaper coverage. And uh, the prize was a, a record deal with EMI and uh, and some money, which was just, just amazing. I mean, we were totally blown away really at the time. And then it appeared in the paper um, that this had two lesbians in it because I was in a relationship with Chris, who was the bass player. Yeah, it was sort of strange and, and uh, I, we were unprepared for it, I, I, you know, it, it, but it, one of those things that happened really, I suppose. Mm. And was that, was that news to your family and friends or was it something that they all knew about already? Well, close family and friends knew, but uh, certainly the people at my job didn't know. So it was a little bit... Um, I suppose it pushed me really to come out more and uh, because of course in those days that you know coming out was was uh, fairly unusual and it, and it's a step that I, I took I'm very glad I did now really it was uncomfortable looking back now I'm glad it happened but, but an awful thing to happen in some respects in the way it happened because that's yeah. terribly unfair so after that you were in a band called Zanana yes. which I suppose we would call a sort of girl power type band nowadays, a girl band. And you each had personas. And yes. yours was Boudicca. How, how, did, <laughs> how did you pick the, the queen of the Iceni? How did that come about? Uh, I'm, I'm so proud of what we did with Zanano because it was very much the pre-runners of the Spice Girls. When I saw the Spice Girls, I thought, that's what we were trying yes. to do yeah. sort of seven or eight years before they did it. We talked, the three of us, so Penny Ruth and myself, we talked about wanting to portray women with strong characters, but we also wanted to do accessible and poppy music, which which is what, what we did. I, this is where I wrote with my brother. We had early sort of disco drum beats and, and, and things and early recording setups and uh, wrote all the music. So we wanted to, again, do something that was strong. And we talked about what three figures represented power and strength as women to us. And mine was without doubt uh, Boudicca, Boadicea, however we say yes, it. Yes, I know. I was, yeah. I was brought up seeing Boadicea and then it suddenly <laughs> becomes Boudicca and I think, what the heck? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, she was a good old girl though, wasn't she? Absolutely. And what were the other um, the other two? Yeah. The other two, Ruthie um, was really taken with Cruella Deville of the um, <laughs> of the uh, Hundred One and Dalmatians. Um, 
Yes, so it's sort of something really powerful and a bit remote and, and a bit cruel, to be frank. And she and she had this very white-faced makeup. It was all rather scary. And Penny, um, our other, wanted to be a female buccaneer because she was absolutely convinced there were buccaneers who were women in the 1700s. And so she dressed as a buccaneer. And, and that's what we did. That is really strange, actually, when you think about it, because the Spice Girls had all of those personas as well. You're right. And it's almost like they'd kind of taken that idea and run with it, you know, and and, and uh, become, well, they became really huge, of course. I thought they were going to be a one-hit wonder, Anita, which shows <laughs> what, how much I know about music. <laughs> this latest EP, though, Just Neat, that's been released in order to raise funds for research into Parkinson's disease. Mm. Is there a reason that you chose to support Parkinson's? Yes, in, indeed there is. I, I talked a little earlier about uh, my beloved brother, Michael, coming home from London and telling me all about Joni. And, and it was Michael and I who wrote all the music for Zinana. And uh, earlier this year, oh, I feel a bit teary as I tell you, um, he, um, he was diagnosed, well, he told me he'd been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so I thought, what can I do to help, really? Um, I was obviously a bit surprised and a bit sad, but thought, well... You know, everybody has things that happen to them in life and what matters is how you manage them and how you deal with them. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I really would like to do something positive because I knew nothing about Parkinson's. It hadn't affected my life. And the more I read, I found out, you know, how charities like them are so struggling at this time of pandemic because obviously everybody's concerned about the pandemic and they do such a wonderful job you know helping people who have been recently diagnosed with all kinds of things so I thought I wonder if I could help Parkinson's UK and and make use of my music and the gift that my brother has given me in order to perhaps do something positive and it has been the most positive thing I've done I mean it's given me a distraction and that's my bit I suppose it's distracted me from all that's going on in some ways but made me feel I'm making something good out of something that's really difficult yeah mm, that's really commendable and how is your brother at the moment is 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 he very pleased that you're doing this yes he's he's a he's a bit of a quiet man he'll say something like very well done in this quiet way <laughs> and that means the world to me because I know yeah. that he really means it and yeah. uh, I think he he often feels surprised by me and I, I sent him a copy of the EP and he's he's really pleased with it. He, he, he did like it, but he, he kind of always puts it back to me saying, this is your effort, this is what you've done. <laughs> but I, And he's, it's hard for him to hear me say, I would never have done this without you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he can't oh, kind of lovely. quite grasp that, you know. Is, so, is he a musician uh, as well? You said that you worked together writing songs. Yes, yes, he, he plays piano. And he, in the early 70s, he had a synthesizer, a very early one, well, the one with all the knobs that, they, you know, that were pre-anything yes, to do with um, Giorgio Moroder or the disco music. So, yes, and we started writing music together in, in the 80s for Zinana. So all of Zinana's set was written by Michael and I and with the girls and Penny and Ruth did their bit too I shouldn't say it was all us because they came up with some things but it was mainly our music and uh, so Mike and I have, have a history of writing together too Let's talk about your EP because we both listened to the EP and it's it's brilliant it's absolutely oh, brilliant it's Anita it's quite exquisite actually what's the process of putting all this all this music together how did it all come about? Well, I'm very touched that you like it so much. No, really, really much, really yeah. lovely. That's so nice. Well, again, I had to work remotely and um, I have this old eight-track recorder that I had in the 90s that I was recording on and I thought, how can I do these songs um, in a way that has a high production value, if you like. And I've been so, so fortunate to find this wonderful... He's my guitar teacher as well, Ben Garraway, <laughs> at the Sound Garage here in Bedford. And Ben um, said he would undertake to take my tracks with the guitar and my vocals if I emailed them to him via my little recorder. So I, I, I came up with this really old-fashioned way of recording. It was very laborious, to be frank, because I had to separate everything, going one at a time to him. Anyway, I sent these to Ben via email, and he's kind of taken my guitar tracks and my vocals and tidied them up. And then he has added um, his own magic touch, really, because he's a wonderful musician. And, and we, we did everything by Zoom. We talked about the mixing and 
and how we were doing this, what guitars, what was happening with the music. We did it all remotely and as I say it took a very long time but between us we've come up with something that I'm very proud of and I'm I'm jolly pleased that you like. <laughs> mm, absolutely. You know I love the song Avenue Louise. Absolutely <laughs> stunning and it tells the story of a couple meeting in Brussels at the end of the war. She sits in a cafe in the sun near the Avenue Louise Dreams of a prince who will come and sweep her off her feet Is that a true story? That is indeed a true story. Yeah. Yes, my 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 mum and dad met in Brussels at the end of the war. Mum was Belgian. She'd lived through World War Two. My grandmother, in fact, was a member of the resistance in in Belgium in Brussels during that time. Oh, wow. Yeah, they famously tell a story. Well, my mum told me about my grandmother on the day of liberation, racing upstairs in their flat in Brussels and grabbing the woman who was upstairs, frog marching her down into the street and shaving her head because she'd been a collaborator. Wow. So, yes, and I can always remember that some of the things mum would tell me, oh, that's where they would take the Jews and load them up in oh, Belgium. So, so, yes, it, it, it was a terrible time for them. And so glad when, of course, the British Tommies came in and my dad always used to say, that was when I liberated Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, they met and fell in love and uh, uh, mum decided to come and live in England and, and over she came in 1947. And so Avenue Louise is, is about their meeting. It's about how I imagine the meeting and Avenue Louise in Brussels is a beautiful street. So to think of them in love and young was just a joy for me to write. Well, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. Yeah. You collaborated with Amy Wodge on the EP. And Amy's worked with lots of stars like Ed Sheeran and Camila Cabello and Lady Antebellum. How did that collaboration come about? I met Amy over 20 years ago now, I think. She came to play in Bedford and I saw in the newspaper an advert. They said the Welsh Joni Mitchell was coming to play in Bedford. <laughs> and I went to see her play on the strength of that. And uh, I went to her at the end of the gig and I said, I have to say I came because they said you were the Welsh Joni Mitchell. And I said, you're nothing like Joni Mitchell, but I loved what you did. And she said, well, that's interesting because I'm not Welsh either. <laughs> <laughs> and she's married to someone who's Welsh though, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's married to Al, her husband is, is Welsh. But we bonded over that and we talked about what lazy journalism it was that every girl who played guitar was compared to Joni Mitchell. Um, yeah. You know, because they are. But she was very different, but nonetheless totally brilliant and we bonded and while she was on the road when she had nowhere to stay she'd come and stay with us and we just got to be friends and uh, watch the ups and downs of her career and uh, at one point she was thinking of giving up playing live herself and started mentoring young singer-songwriters and the she said, I didn't know what I was going to do for three days with some young lad from Suffolk who, who was 16 <laughs> years old and who was coming to her house. And what they did, Ed Sheeran and Amy, was to write eight songs in three days. And uh, wow. the album before his big selling album plus was called Songs I Wrote With Amy. Oh. And uh, yeah, and of course, she's she still writes with Ed, but she writes with just so many others as well. Mm. Everybody yeah. else. Um, you know. So Anita, tell me the process of, of writing songs and if you're doing a collaboration with various other singer-songwriters and colleagues, someone has to do the harmony, someone does the lyrics, is that how you split it? Or do you like doing all of it with everybody doing the same thing? How does it work? Well, to be fair to me, I, I haven't collaborated. I mean, Amy has sung on my song on this one. So I really have not collaborated very much with other people in terms of sharing the writing. Um, mm -hmm. All the songs on just, it's called Just Neat because it's because it's just me really. Uh, with the writing. <laughs> so Amy, Amy came and added piano and sang on my song. I mean, I'd, to be frank, I'd love the opportunity to write with her. That would just be a dream come true. But I suppose the nearest I've come to really collaborating on writing has been in a couple of bands you know I might come up with a riff somebody might come up with a line it's always different really but as I say mainly I write myself for my own kind of I suppose expression really yeah which is what's so wonderful about singer songwriting isn't it that it is part of you or it, it's something that you have a lot of empathy with but do you find then that doing this EP you've written the songs obviously you've have Amy 
and and you've had Ben as well. Do you find then it was it was a very easy process for all of you to be together? Did it click quite nicely? It was all done remotely, as, as yeah. so much is these days. I had done the guitar and vocals for Best Friends. I emailed it to Ben. He had a listen and he put a, a bass on and a, and a, a few strings and sent it back to me. He said, what do you think That's of that? Brilliant. Oh, well, I like this. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> what about this? And, and then he added that. And then we sent that off to Amy. She had a listen. And uh, I had an idea. I wanted her, obviously, to possibly do piano. I didn't know she was going to sing on it. But she came up with a riff for the song and then I was delighted when I got it back she said I stuck some vocals on as well and <laughs> that was a dream come true for me so that was just great to you know and she came up with some lovely vocals and a lovely little piano riff and uh, Ben then got to go together with me and, and and mixed it all really it just seems to be that people are working in a very different way but actually quite effective I think it is it's been effective but it, but it's a second best isn't it for all yeah. of us you know we need each other we need to be with people and we need to be in the same room you know we can go so far but the thing is I th I think we all need the contact and the connection uh, yeah it, it's it's okay but I think I'm sure people I know would say it's not the same as being with your band <laughs> <laughs> yeah you mentioned earlier when you face difficulties it's about how you tackle them and I was kind of thinking, you know, you were a gay woman at a time when it wasn't as accepted as it is now. You were a woman musician at a time when men prevailed. And you're now an older artist in an industry that just worships the young. Do you think that you thrive in an environment where you've got to fight to be heard? Well, isn't that an interesting question? I've never really thought of it quite like that. Um, do you know what? I would much rather have an easier life these days. <laughs> I, I don't know. I suppose I think things are the way they are. Yeah, and there have been difficulties. I have tried to rise to them as best I can, as, as everybody must. And certainly, you know, people confronted with things like Parkinson's, you know, they've got the difficult things, really. I'm just mm. finding my way as best I can, I think. But I tell you what, I cannot bear injustice. I can't stand injustice. So things like Black Lives Matter, you know, I, that was the first time I went out during the pandemic. I hadn't been anywhere and I thought, you you know what, I've got to go out to my local park and, and take the knee with these people. Yeah. Even though mm. I've got arthritis and I can barely get up. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just so important, I think, to stand up and battle injustice wherever you find it. I think you're absolutely right. Are there times that when you see the young, especially young girls, doing really well these days that you, you wish you'd been born much later? I say, asking the question, because I probably do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, at times I do. I suppose the main thing is I, I wish I had the body I had back then, but then I wouldn't have the mind I've got now. You know, the yeah. things that used to worry me and bother me and, and get to me, I, I, they just don't anymore. And I think I, I really do. It sounds so, so cliched, but I think it's a cliche because it's true. I do really love the small things in life you know the, the flowers and the garden and the birds and and things that actually i've discovered really really are so important i mean i don't know how people who've lived in flats who haven't had gardens it must have been so hard for them during yeah. this time so i've i just been counting my blessings really i've got a partner of the last 40 years that i've been so lucky to have you know i've recovered from some bad health myself so you know i i just count each day and thank goodness for it really mm. I was just kind of thinking as you were saying that youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> I think it's true. I really wish I'd known I w or, or felt the way I do now mm. when I don't really care. Back mm. when I was 20, when I did really care about absolutely everything. It's, it's such a waste of time, isn't it, really? It, it is. And, and, the, and one of the songs on my EP, you know, um, there's a song on it called Dance Through Life. And it says that the wisdom of ageing is to not waste time to savour every breath you take like a vintage wine and that says it exactly for me really yeah <laughs> so how can people go about getting copies of the ep just neat it is available as a download. Obviously, the, the money I'm trying to raise is for Parkinson's. And the, the best way is to get an, an old fashioned CD from me by emailing me. And uh, I've got a, a YouTube channel that has my email on it. But if anybody would like to know, it's Lawn Treader, L-A-W-N-T-R-E-A-D. 
D-E-R, so lawn, treader, and that's at gmail.com. Because obviously if people get a CD, more money can go to Parkinson's UK. But it is downloadable as well. Uh, There's not a lot of money, I believe, in downloads. uh, But who knows? So, yeah, they can get that from me and find it on their favourite streaming platform as well. So that's the way to find it. And I'm also at Anita Gabrielle and Conquer Cabin Sessions on YouTube. Fantastic. Anita Gabriel, it's been fascinating talking to you today. And all the best with the new EP, Just Neat. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely, lovely to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. It's great. It was a real pleasure for us. Thank you. Thank you. What an interesting lady and Mm -hmm. the way that she writes songs. She just loves life, doesn't she? Yeah. I mean, I thought that story about her being outed by newspaper was just ghastly. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, she doesn't seem to have bothered her too much or maybe it's just so long ago now that she's kind Mm. of... But at the time, I'd have been absolutely... You know, beside myself, if that had been me, I mean, yeah, you know. especially in the eighties as well to come that's out right. like that, and and that's, that's right. part of the reason. Time, yeah, yeah. it yeah. is a different time. But she did say that her close friends and family knew about it, so mm-hmm. that's good because I think if you if you come out and none of your friends or family know about it, mm-hmm. I think that's even worse. Oh, I really do. But it's an evil thing to do, actually. It is an evil to thing do to do. Yeah, uh, it is. So, yeah, but no, I loved it. And I love the post-punk pop band. That was really good. Her set up and, of course, the... There was such a lot of good bands about at that time, actually. And women bands. And women were starting to come through. I remember quite a few of them. And it was... I loved watching women on stage because it it wasn't all that common. No. The the majority were men. I would say over 90% of, of bands were comprised of men. And you'd get the odd women. Often they were doing backing vocals rather than being up front. And and they were rarely playing instruments. So if you saw somebody playing a bass or a guitar or drums, Mm. you know, it was a bit of a thing. Yeah, there were more single singers, weren't there? Women singers, and you're right, than women bands Mm -hmm. at the time. Lots of, lots of women singers. But you're absolutely right. And I think that she was very proud of that. I loved the the three characters. Uh, Was it Bodicea? Then we had... Bodicea and Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil and Buccaneer. 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 Mm -hmm. Incredible. Absolutely (laughs) incredible. (laughs) I'll bet that was fun. And, you know, nowadays they would have been probably pretty huge. And that's so sickening when you look back at all the talent. And it just, it was really, really hard to be seen back then. Yeah. It was a lot of luck. A lot of luck. You're right. It was a lot of luck. She's, I, I think that uh, I think she's going to do well with this EP. I really do. Mm-hmm. So do I. I hope so. Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Coming up, we'll be joined by Yvonne Witter, a leader of the Peak District Mosaic Group and an Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion who dedicates most of her free time to encouraging people to step outside the city and enjoy nature. Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. It's the breakfast show that's all about Cambridge. We've got the news. National and local. Travel updates. From the A14 to Milton Bode and all stations to Cambridge. The people and the places. Plus guests in our Friday food club. Cambridge Juice. All the new things to do in the city. Our daily quiz. Oh yes, questions, questions with Lucian. And all request Jukebox Friday. And don't forget the coffee. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. Here with a fresh blend weekday mornings from 7. What's in your spare room? Christmas decorations? Maybe an old exercise bike? Could you give that room to a young person along with a fresh start? St Christopher's Fellowship is looking for people to become foster carers in Cambridgeshire to provide safe, caring homes for teenagers who need help. And because we've been working to improve young people's lives since 1870, you can trust that you're not on your own. You'll receive regular training, dedicated social worker support and space to share experiences with other carers. It's more than a spare room, it's a brighter future. Call 0800 234 6282 or visit stchris.org.uk slash fostering. St Christopher's, creating brighter futures. 
Hi, Pam here. Are you tired of the same old shops? Drop into Fantasia on Mill Road near Parker's Peace. Enter our treasure cave full of fine clothing and exotic homewares. Natural materials, uplifting ambiance, mood improvement guaranteed. Perk up your wardrobe, your home, your life. Dare to shop different. Fantasia, 64 Mill Road, Cambridge. Fantasia.uk.com For opening times, please see Fantasia.uk.com Cambridge 105 Radio Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio Yvonne Witter's thirst to help get new audiences out into the Peak District, including BME groups, is incredible. Yvonne loves being outdoors, and as leader of the Peak District Mosaic Group and an Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion, is a strong advocate for encouraging people to enjoy nature for both physical and mental health. And time spent walking is time well spent. Yvonne chats to Susie. Yvonne Witter has an infectious love of being outdoors in nature. Yvonne is leader of the Peak District Mosaic Group and an Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion and is a strong campaigner encouraging black and ethnic minority groups to get out of the city and into nature. Yvonne Witter is an inspiration and her mission is to pass on her knowledge of the natural world to help others. So Yvonne, how did this all begin for you? Why become a champion for the outside world of nature? So being a mosaic champion, it all began with Campaign for National Parks. And when I became community champion and the Campaign for National Parks had a project that to encourage BAME communities to access the national parks. So they were recruiting community champions and I was approached by one of the project officer who lives in Sheffield who um, covered or had responsibility for recruiting and supporting champions in different national parks including the Peak District National Park so I, I she got in touch with me and um, I signed up to become a champion because I wanted to get a better understanding of how to get out and enjoy the countryside because I wasn't familiar with a national park and didn't have an understanding of what the national park is and how to access and do things in the national park um, in terms of groups or even going out there with, with families are on my own. So I did a personal development um, plan and I wanted to, one of the, some of the things I highlighted was to be able to do map readings, navigation, and places to go and to do a walk leaders course. And I achieved those, so I ticked those off the box. And to have an understanding of the National Park um, by going to different events. So the program involves working in partnership with the National Parks and the YHA, another organization, in breaking down barriers and building relationships so these organizations can work with us to, to, to build and sustain communities to yeah. access the National Park. Yeah, yeah. Because we know that um, BAM communities are um, not as likely to visit the National Parks as you would have as the, the other communities for example, white British. So they identify that. So the main reason for the campaign for national project, national park project was to set up that project to work with BAME communities, to recruit the champions, to be able to gain the necessary skills and knowledge. And it was a simple formula to get people to visit the national park. And by, de- by recruiting the champions, they recruited over 240 champions. They had it different phases. And the last phase was 2012 to 2015. And they, um, you know, they had the necessary training for these champions to go out there, access the national park, organize group events for their family and their friends. And when the project finished, we became volunteers with the national park that you're associated with. Um, so I was one of the volunteers with the Peak District National Park. We, we signed a contract, we, we continued doing things that we were doing. And I decided to set up a conqueror's group walk 
I decided to set up a group walk to get out there, put into practice what I've learned and to introduce and encourage others to get out there. So mm -hmm. I named the group after my Sunday school class, Conquerors. <laughs> so it was something new to me, but I didn't let it be something that I'm going to sit back and thinking, oh, I can't do it. Mm. I wanted to prove to myself that I have got a better understanding of what National Park is about, mm. what is out there, and how can I get out there? But mm. I am not just going to get out there on my own. I'm going to share this knowledge. I want others to understand that there is a park out there that you can access. Just be careful that you make sure that whatever you, when you go there, you take care of it. It's our national park. So yeah. you treat it like you're treating your backyard. So, and that's what I did. Do you find people were quite reticent, first of all, to come out and become part of this? Or did you think they were going, yeah, this is great. I'd love to do this. Did they think I've got other things that might prioritize my life. I need to do other things. How did you persuade people? Um, I'm good at persuading people. <laughs> I, I, I just tell them about what is there. Because one of the things is that it's, it's saying, right, I'm doing this work, would you like to come? But it's, it's more than that. It's just emphasizing the benefits, you know, the, the, the positive things about getting out. It's about, you know, um, looking after your mental health, you know, looking after your well-being. It's good for your heart. It's, it's, it's a part of a physical activity that you're encouraged to do every day. So I will find somewhere that has got a bit of history. So I research and I want to, and I tell them the, the, the story about the place, you know, so I may, I may print out something from the internet and, and bring with me, or I'll just, um, when I do the emails, I will say, this is where we're going and give them a little um, snippet of what they are to expect when I get there. It's really quite, quite apt at the moment because of COVID and the pandemic. And so when you do your walks at the moment, do you, are you able to continue these walks in during this terrible time we're having? How does that work out? The walks have been going really well since March. So we did one just before lockdown in March. And then the group walks, um, we had to stop them because of the lockdown. So what we started, we restarted them in August time. So a friend from London that did a group walk for a family reunion. And then we had always in the ending of August. And then the TIA came in and the six rule, six rule came in. So what I did for the National Get Outside Day event as a Get Outside um, champion with Ordnance Survey, I decided I'm going to go ahead and um, with the group work of plan. This is my second year and I really want to get off with it. So we, I, I um, contacted the rangers. We do a very supportive, always working partnership with the Peak District Rangers. And we decided we're gonna have five groups of six and it worked. So we had um, a ranger and a bot marker leading a group of four so four four participants in each group some were volunteer rangers some were you know paid rangers and it worked and i led the group with another champion then two other champion led the group and back mark and it was one of the best events i've done despite the circumstances it was a lovely sunny day so there are things that may hinder people from getting out there are some people decide i'm not coming up because of that but we can still get out as long as we stick to the guidelines and ensure that we are social distancing and everything that is required of us. There are green spaces around the city that people are now finding during the lockdown. So my green space on my doorstep, I, it's my second home for running and walking, you know, when I want to get out on my own. And it's really work for people in my group um, that goes out, they have found places and they're exploring and getting out and be able to do something, um, but they're not able to do it as a group, but they're still going out, looking after their well-being, getting active and, and just enjoying nature, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. For you yourself, what sort of challenges did you find from starting this that you didn't anticipate at the beginning? When I started the journey as a champion, um, I started the journey to say, right, I'm gonna go walking. I want to learn to read them up. And I am a leader, I'm a born leader, and I am a people person, and I'm a community person. 
and I am really passionate about working with groups in terms of introducing them to different things, introducing them to new places. So I am always doing that, whether at work or out in the community or in my local church. And I like organizing events. So for me to gather people to get out, that wasn't a challenge. I am spreading the news. I am in sharing information. But what I didn't, what I didn't see coming is a lot of the things that I have done because the opportunity is there and people see, people have heard of me or see what I do to recognize and acknowledge and in, invite me and to be a part of different projects and, and, and to do different things. For example, before I became the chair of Peak District Mosey, I, the, the National Park would invite me to come and represent different champions to be a part of different steering group or to be a part of the, the consultation for the management plan. Different people have asked me to come and speak. For example, they, every year they celebrate the, um, the mass trespass because there was a mass trespass, you know, accessing the countryside, which started in the National Park. And I was invited to speak in Manchester. And it's things like those. Um, you know, I've, I've been expecting like those to happen, but it's having that passion to be able to recognize. I feel like I'm a keeper of the park. So I go out, I access the park, I introduce people to the park and people see and know what I do. And that encourages me to be able to take up the opportunity when somebody asks me to, you know, support an, um, a project or to help with something based on my experience of groups and, and accessing the national park, then, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I think that's why I'm here with you this morning because, you know, it's not gone unseen, but I do it because I'm passionate about it. Yeah. And other people see me as a leader and I am a leader and I do, I'm grateful for the acknowledgement. And I'm so grateful for the individuals who believe in me and really comes out and enjoy the cycling, mm -hmm. the, um, the walking, um, whatever I do in terms of encouraging and motivating people to manage the health and well-being and to get out there, socialize and play on the landscape. Because I feel like it's adults coming out to play. We laugh, we talk and we walk oh. and it comes together. I, I, you absolutely right. And, and I love, I, you know, I really, really admire women who say things like I'm a born leader because we don't get many women saying that. It's just fantastic that you do that, Yvonne. And I love the way that you are interacting with people, encouraging people. Do you find that the, there is more women that come out to, to, to walk or is it men as well? I mean, you know, the, the, the social dynamics of home life is that if you are working and someone's at home, do you find the people that um, have work full time that it's really hard to get them out to walk? I mean, is it more women or more men that you're seeing? coming out to yeah. um within the, the the mosaic groups and the walks that we lead it's predominantly women it's it's mostly women you may get two men at some point and you there's a teenager that comes with his grandma and he and he lives in Birmingham so he comes to Sheffield and he comes up with his grandma and he always enjoyed coming out um got my grandchildren two boys uh, two uh, as the grandchildren they're two boys they come sometime um, there's a husband that come with his wife uh, and it varies um, really from each walk to another um, but mostly women that comes on the walk mothers and children or grandchildren people who are retired people travel from others field you've got that you know who are in full-time jobs and that's where that's where they find that to get away, to, to, un, to unwind on a Saturday or a Sunday, because sometimes I do the walk on a Sunday, to just do something different, switch off. Yeah. This is yeah. where I need to be before, and to recharge my battery um, and come and take a slice of the landscape cake yeah. and just yeah. you know, enjoy that with, with people from different walks of life, um, to be able to say, Monday, I've recharged, I've yeah. been out. I've enjoyed the rain. I've yeah. enjoyed walking up the hills. I've enjoyed <laughs> seeing, the, you know, the, the carpet of landscapes. And 
now I'm back at work and I feel better. And and the way forward for you, Yvonne, what, what's uh, now that you are very well known now, this is fantastic, what is the way forward for you? What plans do you have? I can tell you've got plans. You've always got plans. Just by seeing you for about 10 minutes today, I can tell you're on it. You're on the next one. What is it? Come on, Lida. What I do is <laughs> I, I, I will continue doing what I'm doing as a Mosaic champion and for the chair of Peak District Mosaic to continue serving my community, engaging and working with organization to, to do two things, to let them understand that communities are important in whatever they do. And when we, when we are trying to do as much as we want to do in terms of making policies, in terms of the funding that we, we have and the funding that they're distributing, be aware that communities, there are grassroots communities there, there are little groups that may not have a bank account. And I want to see organizations working with communities, engaging with communities, consulting with communities, because without communities, you feel like you're not serving anybody to be able to, to engage so that they are a part of your decision-making, your policy, whatever you do. And I want to be able to champion that so that we can be more visible, um, you know, to organization and be a part of whatever you do in making places accessible, in making service more accessible to people. And I will continue doing that. I am. I, I'm a cyclist. I cycle. I am not a road cyclist. You know, I've got my little um, train <laughs> bike. <laughs> I've, I've got my, my bike. I just get out and do what I have to do. But one of the things that I do within work and within the community, I am an advocate for cycling. And I have set up Women Only Cycling as a part of a work project just had a contract with the local authority in Sheffield to deliver cycling to women across the city of Sheffield. And I'm really passionate about that, really passionate. And, you know, I even loaned my bike to a friend to get her to do one-to-one, -to, -one, to encourage her to get out. Mm -hmm. And that, those are some of the things. I want to see people more active, people getting out, doing things as family, and to be able to afford some of the equipment that they require are desperately need to be able to do that for cycling. Bikes are not cheap. And if we could have a scheme, in, in, in what we do in my work as a senior health and wellbeing worker, we have the bikes, but because of pandemic, we can't do the group rides. Mm -hmm. So we are now doing one-to-one -one where women come with their own bikes and, see, and meet with the instructor at a recreational ground or at the home. So we, during the pandemic, we still have something going, but it's not group session. And that is really awesome. So those are some of the things I really want to see happening, whereby there's adequate funding to um, be able to hire transport, to take people up. Because sometimes you've got a family of five, seven, the cost of getting on the bus, and sometimes four buses. When you go as a group, it is so effective. You travel yeah. together, you share things together, you come back together and we're not rushing to get a bus and, you know, it feel like a rush. Oh, we need to get this bus, we have to finish now. And that is something to be able to provide enough funding to come. And the other thing is that, Susie, we need to go and spend time in villages. So I was saying one of, one of the issues that it'll be really lovely for us to secure funding so we can take families and do residential because to go into the countryside um, for one day, you learn something, but I would like to see a cultural exchange program whereby we go in to the countryside and we visit a village, we go around, learn, learn about the culture it, it, and learning about each other, sharing about food, sharing about, you know, whatever we do in terms of our faith, religion, and what we do at certain time of the year, whether it's eat, whether it's a, whether it's a religious celebration or just some carnival, because the peak district, the world dressing, you know, we do carnival in August time. They do well-dressing. Well and I've been to two well-dressing. And I thought, I'm amazed. <laughs> I was going through some paperwork last night. And the first well-dressing I went to was 2012 with two of my grandchildren. 
Oh. You know, so it's things like those. It would be yeah, really yeah. nice to, to do. So yes, I've got plans and uh, you know, but those plans is not something that I'm gonna just go out and do as a one woman. You know, we've got trustees, a board of trustees and Petership Mosaic. And you know, there are people in the community that are willing to work with us. And that's what I want to see happen. Yvonne Witter, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I, I think you're an inspiration. Thank you very much for being on Women Making Waves today. Thank you. Oh, Thank no. you. And thanks for having me. Well, Susie, that was a really good interview that you did with Yvonne Witters. Very much enjoyed hearing you chatting to her there. Do you know what I really loved about Yvonne? As much as I love what she does, she's a leader of the Peak District Mosaic Group and the Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion. But I love the way she said, I'm a born leader. Yeah, I know. I loved you it. Did. That really appealed to you, didn't it? Because I like it when people are confident enough to say it. Yeah. No one's being mean about it. They're just saying, I like this. So, and if I think I'm good at it. Yeah. She does so much good work and she really, literally, spends so much time getting people outside and being together, walking. Of course, we got the pandemic and the lockdown a bit limited at the moment, but before and a little bit during the tears, she was able to get people to go two by twos and talk to each other. And it's all about being outside. And we've learned that, haven't we, this year, that that is really, really yeah. important. And I think from a mental health point of view, it's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? And Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the last time I went to the Peak District anyway to go up there. Well, I can't do it now, but I think the only time I did it was when I took one of my children up to Manchester University and we went past it. So that's the only time. But, mm, it but is driving a past place. it probably doesn't count there, Susie. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, I was. I really take my hat off to Yvonne. She's absolutely incredible. That's all we have time for in this edition of Women Making Waves. We'd very much like to thank our guests, Anita Gabrielle and Yvonne Witter. If you know of a woman who is making waves, we'd like to speak to her. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves Radio. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. Women Making Waves is a jibber-jabber production 